The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. And we're going to be reading out of Ruth 2. This is out of the NIV this week. Uh, you can either follow along on the screens or you can uh, follow along on the app. Here we go. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Amalek, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go out into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Ah. Uh, As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Amalek. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, what does that young woman belong to? Uh, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the woman. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this time, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you might notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you have left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May, be, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it into the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had left some over, and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Do not rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten. Her mother-in-law asked, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The man I worked at with today is Boaz, she replied. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is one of our close relatives. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived there with her mother-in-law. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that your word speaks. Lord, that we understand your story a little bit better and understand our story in it. In name we pray. Amen. So there are two kinds of fictionalized television shows. Sitcoms, 
and serials. Sitcoms come out of the word situational comedies. And that would be your Seinfeld soup Nazi. That would be your Ross from Friends when he gets a monkey, or your modern day family, or modern family when Phil gets a new job, right? A situation starts off the episode that upsets the cart, and by the end of that 20 minutes, by the end of that 45 minutes, the situation is taken care of, and next week you're gonna get a brand new situation that they're gonna address. Sitcoms. The other fictional television show would be a serial. Serial meaning in order, that the story continues on. That to understand what happens in episode five, you have to know what happened in episode three. So that might be the show 24, right? It wouldn't make sense to start in episode 13. You'd have no idea what was going on. Well, when we talk about Ruth, we're talking about a serial. And certainly the Bible as a whole is one giant story, but this book specifically, if we don't know what's going on in chapter one, when we talk about chapter two, it's not going to make any sense. So I'm taking some wording from a, a really favorite show of mine, and we're going to start off with, hi, I'm Ruth, and here are some things you might need to know or maybe just forgot. All right, so we're going to recap what happened last week. First and foremost, we talked about how Ruth takes place in Judges. And how judges worked was they were in this cycle where the people would cry out for help and God would come and rescue them. And for a while, things would be going right. great. He said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to place you into a land flowing with milk and honey. In today's language, that's low property taxes and good schools, right? So they're in the right neighborhood. And for a while, things are going great. But eventually, what would happen is that they would forget about God. They would turn to other gods. They would trust in their own best thinking. And their own best thinking would lead to this, right? They'd get flattened. And either an army would come in or a famine would come in. But in trusting in God, they stopped getting their protection and they'd get flattened. And eventually they'd cry out for help again. And God, being faithful, would come and rescue them. And that cycle would start all over again. Well, Ruth starts off in chapter 1 in the time of Judges. And what that's telling us is that they're in this cycle. And it says, in the time of Judges, there was a famine, so the people of God had gotten flattened. And what ends up happening is that Naomi and her husband do something they're not supposed to do. They may migrate to a different country, to Moab, which has more food. See, God's promise had been, I will protect you, I will take care of you. If you turn back to me, I will provide for you. But instead of trusting in that, they leave. They go to a land they think is going to be better off for them. So they immorally migrate, but then they even compound matters worse where Scripture had told them, hey, do not give your sons or daughters to be married to sons and daughters of a different religion. They had two boys, and instead of keeping it in the family, no, they actually married Moabite women, women of different religion. So now they've got an illegal marriage on top of an immoral migration. And then all kinds of pain comes into the story. Naomi's husband dies. Then Naomi's two sons die. And we talked about how at that time in history, if you were a woman, you had no legal standing. And so if someone were to harm you, you would go through your husband to have your legal rights protected. But what we find is that Naomi's husband's dead, both of her sons are dead, so they have no legal strength. They're literally the lowest of low on the food chain in society. And we talked about how that led to Naomi tries to send her daughters away, right? 
talked about how what sin does better than anything else is it rips us apart. It disconnects us from each other, and it disconnects us from God. And yet what we find is that while one of the daughters leaves, Ruth says no. Ruth says, you are my mother. From now on, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And the story ends with them returning to the promise. They return to Israel. And things aren't perfect. In fact, Naomi shows up and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore because that means pleasant. She says, change my name to bitterness because the Lord has made my life bitter. We talked about how it's okay not to be okay sometimes. It's okay to be hurting. It's okay to have challenges. But Naomi and Ruth still return to where the promise of God is. And that's where chapter 2 picks off. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Alamech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Right, so they're still up the creek right now, right? They're still hurting. They still have no protection. And I think all of us can relate to that sometimes, where life is just so chaotic, we don't know what's going to happen, we don't have the big plan, and we're looking around like, God, what are you going to do? This is broken. This is not okay. And in that, what we see Naomi and Ruth do is when in doubt, do the next right thing, but do it in faith. That's all God asks of us. He doesn't say, guys, I need you to have the entire journey figured out. Step by step, you have to know exactly what's going to happen. That is not the story of Scripture. No, he says, I am God. You are not God. You're not supposed to know everything. Just do the next right thing and do it in faith that I'm going to provide. And after you do that one right thing, God's going to provide and he's going to help us do the next right thing. And he's going to rescue us. He's going to provide for us. And so that's what Ruth does. She sets out and she's like, well, we've got to figure out how to eat today. So I'm going to go and I'm going to work. And what we find in this is a larger narrative of Scripture, that God had set up a system for those who were like Naomi and Ruth, who didn't have the legal standing. And we see this out of Deuteronomy. Read this with me. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of a widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in the field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from trees, do not go back over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow." When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I have commanded you to do this. So God brought them into the land of milk and honey. And for the most part, they were farmers. And so they were either working with wheat and barley, olives, or wine. And they would go and they would harvest, right? And you would think when you harvest, you want to get as much of it as you can. Right? You cut it down and then you bundle it all up. And what we see again and again and again is God saying, yes, go and harvest. But don't go over it a second time. Leave that for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. 
foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow at that time were the most powerless in society. They had no standing. They had no rights. And God says, I want you to take care of them. In fact, I'm going to create a society where they are going to have daily bread. And why? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. God's people didn't become God's people because they were the strongest nation. They didn't become God's people because they were the best-looking nation. They didn't come become God's people because they were good-hearted people. No. The Old Testament teaches us that God protected them, God chose them, God loved them, not because of their goodness, but because of his goodness. The sons and daughters of God in this room are sons and daughters not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness. It's the first song we sang today, today, right? I'm adopted into God's family by grace and grace alone. All of us are provided for by grace and grace alone. God ties their story and the story of the powerless together. He says, you too were once powerless, but I loved you anyway. Now I want you to pay that love forward to those that I bring into your life. So God had set up the system. So when Naomi takes that next step, there is a system that is ready for her, that is ready to love on her and to help provide for her, right? So she went out, Ruth, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Amalek. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the woman. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in, the eye, in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have told you all about, what, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says, God is going to provide for you. You've returned the promise. You've trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And God is going to provide for you. In the New Testament language, we would say that God give us this day our daily bread. And what we find in Scripture is that God is faithful to provide daily bread to his people. And when we repent, when we turn back to him, when we trust in him, and we do that next right thing in faith, God will provide. But what we find in Ruth, and one of the reasons why this holds such a special place in my heart, is that part of the ways that God provides isn't the more miraculous side of things that we see in the Old Testament. 
This isn't God parting the Red Sea. God doesn't provide by sending manna and quail for 40 years. No, in this story, God provides through ordinary but broken people and through ordinary ways provides for Ruth and does something extraordinary. You see, this story of Ruth, while very small and limited, plays into a much larger part of what God is up to. We're not in chapter 4 yet. We're still in chapter 2, so we've got to figure out how does God provide. At mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, Come here, have some bread and dip it in the wine, wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. And she got up to glean. Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley, all that she had gathered, and it amounted to an FF. That's about 30 pounds of barley. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Oh, sorry. Not to just hear you out. What we see uh, Boaz do, right? Boaz knew he was one of God's people. He was in this system. But he goes above and beyond generosity, right? Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave it for her to pick up. Boaz's faith caused him to act differently, right? One of my favorite verses comes from James. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Earlier this week, I got to have lunch with our drinks with Phil Sneed. It's great. We sat outside at Redhorn, out overlooking this nice little patio. I had a nice frothy drink in front of me. And he asked, said, Josh, what keeps you up at night with church? And I was in such a good headspace. I'm like, nothing. Life is great. But I got home and I realized, you know what? That isn't entirely accurate. Because when you talk about what keeps me up at night when it comes to God's church. My fear is not having an impact. About 10 years ago, a good friend of mine called me up and we were talking about ministry. He said, you know what, Josh? I've really been challenged by how many churches, if they just disappeared tomorrow, would the world not even notice? The world wouldn't miss a beat because we have such a limited impact in our community. And it was like a friggin' sock to my gut. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how many churches have I been a part of that if they just disappeared, the world wouldn't even know we left? See, that's what keeps me up at night. This idea that our faith, if not accompanied by action, it's not real, it's not alive. See, as Christians, we often get into our heads that the point of the Bible, the point of God's story, is salvation. It's not. Hear me again. The point of Scripture is not salvation. Salvation 
is how God changes the world, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his son. He sacrificed his son. We live by grace and grace alone so that God can change the world. You see, God cares about the broken. He cares about the powerless, the foreigner, the widow, the orphan. God cares. And the system he created to provide for his people, for his world, is the people of God. That's why he says the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with everything you got, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, God provides us opportunities to share our daily bread, not just individually, but as a church, as his people. And so that's where we as a church are going. In the last month, some of our leadership has had an opportunity to meet with two really cool partners. Baghdad Elementary School is about a mile and a half up the road on Baghdad. It's Title I, one of the few Title I schools in the Leander School District. And there are just a ton of challenges. We got to meet with some of their leadership and the openness they have to partner, to love on some of the powerless in our community is awesome. And so as a church, we want to lean into that relationship and say, we want to be partners with you in this because God so loved us, because he died for us, because he redeemed us. By grace and grace alone, we are going to go out and we are going to be agents of change. We met with the police department. Police department is literally a half a block down the road. Yeah, that way. Right? You know what the police department can't connect to right now? This strip mall. We live, our building is in Little Mexico for Leander, right? But they have no connection. They have no relationship. And what we see our God doing is putting us in a place where we get to be that partner with them and say, yeah, what would it look like for us to help you listen to this community, to help you connect to this community? Because once you have relationships, when things go bad, and things are always going to go bad, if you have those deeper connections, deeper change happens. Because at the end of the day, God is calling his people to be agents of change. And as a church... I came here because I think you guys want to be agents of change. Because I've already seen hints of that in things like acts of love. Because for sure, if we disappeared tomorrow, there would be half a dozen moms and their babies who knew we were gone. But we don't want to just say, we've arrived, we've achieved all that God has for us. No, we want to take that next step in faith, trusting that God is going to provide for us opportunities to love on our community to change the world. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you humbled that we get to be on this journey, but also honest that we're not fit for it. Lord, that through our actions, through our inaction, Lord, often we have kept everything for ourselves. We have looked on the powerless with disdain, not with grace. Lord, we have not connected their plight to our plight in the same way that while we were powerless over sin, your love and redemption came in. Lord, that you promised us daily bread, both spiritually and physically, relationally and emotionally. Lord, we need a God who can redeem us daily. 
who can provide for us daily. And we are bold in our prayer knowing that you are such a God. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. We pray that you connect us to yourself, connect us to your story, and that you connect us to each other. Lord, we say this all in our son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.